0: Hello and welcome to B2B Better, the podcast that exists to help companies rethink how they win new business. Each week I sit down with marketers, creatives and storytellers to break down the commercial strategies that actually work with the modern day buyer. Let's get started. Today on B2B Better I am very excited to be joined by Emily Brady, creative content lead at Sweetfish. I gotta say I am fanboying a little bit here at the moment because I've been following you on TikTok forever and the kind of content you put out there is phenomenal. I know we're going to dig into that today but Emily thank you so much for joining me on the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me Jason. I gotta say I am I'm a fan of yours as well so this is pretty cool for me. I've been subscribed to your newsletter for a long time and following you on social so also a fan.
0: I appreciate that. Tell me a little bit about you, your rollover at Sweetfish and the story of your career so far.
1: Yeah, so I studied journalism at school and quickly decided I'd never work in a newsroom, but I loved those skills that it gave me as far as communication and research and you know, pairing that with I'm more of a creative thinker, so it just made sense to go into marketing. I went into publishing after school and I didn't like that either, and eventually ended up at Sweetfish by some miracle and I actually started out working at Sweetfish as a contract writer. So I was writing things like show notes and blogs for our customers. And this was in 20. 20- and then we decided that we, we didn't have anyone working on social at the time. So they asked me if I'd like to come on full time and help with the LinkedIn evangelist program, which is our employee advocacy program. So I was hired on to to take charge of that and to build it out. And currently that's part of what I do, but I've I've kind of spread out a little bit more and into the TikTok realm and into more marketing initiatives in general. So yeah, I went from, at Sweetfish in particular, went from writer to only LinkedIn to now creative content for several different platforms.
0: So a bit of a windy path to get to where you are today. Yeah. And I love that. And I love speaking to people who, you know, um, you know, started in a, in a different field, an adjacent field perhaps to, to marketing and B2B marketing mm-hmm. and have then kind of found themselves building out a career in this space. I mean, is there anything from your kind of journalism days that you rely on, you think, now in your current role? Like what are the skills that have transferred over in that regard?
1: Yeah, I think I think mostly writing because there's a lot of, in journalism, there's a lot of interviewing, but also like creating a story. And so it makes sense working at a podcast agency, I don't interview anyone for our podcast, but I take a lot of that content and repurpose it. And so a lot of my days are spent writing mostly short form for social, but that's been probably the biggest thing is finding the story and conveying the story well.
0: Yeah. It's it's so important in B2B. And I mean, I know you've seen you 've seen this there 's a lot of organizations out there that think they 've got the story and they 'll wrap it up mm-hmm. in a press release or a, or a blog post and publish it and you know it won 't grab anyone 's attention because you know really it is just a memo more, more than anything right. and that kind of skill to really dive in and, and unearth the story, but also have the confidence to sometimes I think stand up and say to your organization you know what there maybe just isn't anything here right for us to be putting out there and we need to go in a different direction and look look down another avenue is also equally important you mentioned with Sweet, you know it's a podcast agency a b2b podcast agency Mm -hmm. and i'm a huge fan of yours but also a huge fan of of the organization because of the really robust employee advocacy program that uh, you guys are running over there which is you know, not something you see, particularly on the agency side, you know, there's lots of amazing agencies out there that are terrible at marketing themselves. And they'll willingly mm. hold their hands up and say, you know, it's because we're too busy doing work, work for our right. clients. But you know, you, you're clearly delivering results on the behalf of your customers, while simultaneously, the whole organization seems to be, you know, organized around this idea of building out you all as, as thought leaders. You wrote a really yeah. great Great post on this recently, and it started with a really strong line that I love people buy from people, not companies. You know, yeah. h- how did this whole employee advocacy program at the company start? Was it something that you inherited? Was it something you launched? What were the beginnings of it?
1: Yep. So uh, last year, our he, then director of marketing, Dan Sanchez, he's our director of audience growth currently, but he was very passionate about LinkedIn. Is still very passionate about LinkedIn. So our whole leadership team was posting on LinkedIn pretty consistently, and then started to see companies like Refine Labs, Day, a couple others starting to employ the, their employee advocacy initiatives. And so Dan was like, "We need to jump on board with this. Like, we need to open this up to the whole team." And so hired me on. And our our approach was a little bit unique in that when I was hired on, it was. I was starting from scratch, aside from the results that we had seen from the leadership team, but it was unique in that I was hired on to essentially create content for our evangelists to supplement what they were doing. So they would—they were responsible for writing three posts a week, and then I would write three posts for them. And so that's, you know, at the time we started out with, I think, like 10 evangelists. And so I was writing 30 posts for For, you know, 10 different people. Yeah. And I I wouldn't recommend that a company, yeah, I wouldn't recommend a company go about it that way. It worked for us in the beginning. I don't still do that, but it was just a good way to we were we were really focusing on volume at the time so to put out a ton of content so now as it's evolved every quarter it's kind of changed a little bit but we we stopped doing that and instead i i was creating resources that would equip them to create their own content instead of just supplying them with content and so we would do like workshops monthly workshops that train on you know the linkedin algorithm or what makes a good story or how to engage with other people on the platform. And then starting out is tricky because a lot of people have never posted on LinkedIn before. So a lot of our employees were like, they were excited to try it, but they just, they weren't confident in their ability to speak as an expert on something. And so a lot of those early days was just kind of handholding and just encouraging. And like, you don't have to talk as an expert, talk as a student, build in public. And there are so many different ways to do it. And now a lot of them have been doing it for so long that they're able to take resources that are given to them and build out their own content.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it, it amazes me to think of the kind of the, 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 the rhythm and the cadence that you were having to create content against at the beginning of your time over at Sweetfish. Yeah. And it talks to a bigger point, which you touched on there, which is, you know, is that the right way to go about it? Because I think sometimes people interpret employee advocacy as marketing up at the top, just creating a bunch of assets that they they then distribute down and, you know, maybe you change a word here or there, but essentially you're just kind of publishing it. Like for, I know you mentioned refined labs there. I mean, Chris has spoken about that at length. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really going to, if it's going to work and be successful, it needs to start from the top and it needs to be a a behavior that's built into the organization. You know, why, can you talk a little bit to that and, you know, that transition from Emily creating content to the team creating content and why that was important for the, for the organization?
1: Yeah. Well, one of the reasons that you would have a program like this is because you want your employees to build their brands. It's it's a benefit to your employees. So if you are doing the work for them, then they're not actually building their own brands. So it's it's a disservice to them to do that. And it, it worked out in the beginning, but At some point you have to say, all right, like I'm, we're taking the training wheels off and this is all you. So one thing that I think was incredibly helpful and I would recommend doing is we helped them build like personal brand documents. So like jumped on a one-on-one call with them, brainstormed, how do you want to be seen on social? How do you want to position yourself? And then what are your content pillars? Because again, this is their brand. We, we don't want it to be, this is your brand, but it's, it's, we're controlling it in these ways, right? So we want it to be their voice because when you're amplifying your employees' brands, then you are directing attention back to your brand inadvertently. And and the one thing that we required, we didn't even require them to post uh, content like from our blog or anything. We only asked that they change their byline to, we produce podcasts for B2B brands as well as changed their frame on their picture um, on LinkedIn. So that way when people see their content, they see that they're with Sweetfish and Sweetfish just comes up all over the feed, but it doesn't feel promotional. And that's, I think, a mistake that, like you said, a lot of companies make is they're pushing their content to their employees and their employees are not, they don't, they're not being trained in how to engage on LinkedIn, how to post on LinkedIn. So they're only resharing links, but it is a social platform. So if you're only I I never really click away from LinkedIn. If I see someone reshare a blog link, I'm not going to click on it. I want to know what you think about it, why you're sharing it. So that was a really big part of of amplifying, you know, our content but also just solidifying our employees' brands was like, we want you to say things in your words and we want you to share content close to your role because part of it is establishing our people as thought leaders, as subject matter experts, which then will help our customers, will help prospective customers and that kind of thing. But that was, yeah, that was our approach to that. I
0: know your CEO, James Carberry. Mm -hmm is a huge advocate for your employee advocacy program. And, you know, that's yeah. that that's gonna make everyone's life a lot easier, particularly yours in terms of getting something yeah. off the ground. Yes. Especially, you know, speaking to a fair number of B2B marketers through this podcast and on social media and what have you, I think, you know, mm-hmm. there's a pretty common alignment across us as a profession that investing and in growing the thought leadership profiles of our team as a means mm-hmm. to grow our brand profile is a smart move in the majority of cases, but it all, yeah. you know, sometimes where there's that struggle to get it off the ground internally, it's that how do we demonstrate the ROI? How do we measure the right. effectiveness of this program? I'd love to get your your take on that, and and perhaps if you could share any results that you've seen, Sweetfish has seen as a result mm-hmm. um, of launching this program a couple of years ago.
1: Yes. So to your point, it is it's so important to get leadership on board first. And I know that just from conversations I've had on LinkedIn, most companies that don't have that buy in are not going to be able to have a sustainable employee advocacy program. So we were fortunate in that way. And I tell people too, like if you're thinking about starting one right now. Just go take a look at our article and our results and use that to persuade your leadership team, you know, because that's kind of what we did is we looked at other companies that did it too. But some results that we had seen in a year of doing this, we closed over 300,000 in annual revenue directly attributed to LinkedIn. Yeah, which is huge. And that's probably the number one reason that you would do this, right, is for the revenue. And that's that's self-reported attribution. It's Obviously a hard thing to track, but that was the final number that we were able to come up with. And we also helped, we're a very small company. We have 40 full-time employees right now around there. And so we helped 20 employees build their brands, which is great because a lot of them have gone on to do bigger and better things. And, you know, I'd like to think that part of that was that they started building their brands early and were able to, to have that persona on social media that got attention and then we we were not posting on our linkedin page our company linkedin page for a really long time just because People don't really know how to talk to companies on LinkedIn, right? You want to talk Mm. to people, but we were seeing our traffic increase to our company LinkedIn page without ever posting, which was really neat. And then we received a lot of invitations. A lot of our people received invitations to podcasts, LinkedIn lives, that kind of thing, which again, just fueled our brand awareness and brand affinity their brands as well. So those were a few benefits that we saw.
0: It's a virtuous circle by the sounds of things. You know, it just needs mm-hmm. it needs a spark at the beginning and a few vested employees to really commit to developing that cadence and and, you know because it's an effort right like having created content myself personally for the last two and a half years on top of a full-time day job which you know as you you this is is no one's full-time day job I take it at at Sweetfish you know just to be posting content all the time it's you know on top of other responsibilities (laughs) and that's that's a tall order and it's you know I I can 100% appreciate you know the difficulty that 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 can bring we've been talking about we've been talking about LinkedIn almost exclusively but you are Mm -hmm. prolific on TikTok you know whenever I log into my professional account on TikTok your videos are always a surface and they're they're hilarious and they're engaging and you know it's it's amazing also to kind of watch the development of your style having right. followed you for the last you know six to twelve months I mean TikTok at face value is a platform that doesn't necessarily feel very b2b some people may say yeah. Talk me through your thinking around, you know, why you decided to divert some of that LinkedIn energy onto onto this platform and why you think it's a good play.
1: Yeah. So my TikTok strategy actually fuels my LinkedIn strategy a little bit, and I'll get into that in a minute. But I, I started on TikTok in October, and it was really daunting for me because I'm, as a writer, like I do not get in front of the camera. And so I started out very trepidatious. and I was dan encouraged me to get on just because again it's sort of similar to to LinkedIn as we had seen a couple of other brands starting to dip their toes in the TikTok waters and so we thought what if we could get ahead of this and pave the way and so got on there and started just experimenting with it to see what would work or if it was even a viable channel and now I that's one thing that most people know me for is TikTok which is really funny to me but so we Yeah, we're seeing a lot more B2B marketers jump on the platform, seeing a lot of them have success, closing a lot of deals, getting a lot of attention. So kind of the reasoning behind TikTok's success, I think, first of all, is it's quickly becoming like the number one search engine, which sounds crazy, but even like there are stats that it, you know, in 2021 for a while, it held the number one spot over Google. So people are going to TikTok to search... Anything, any range of things, because they want that information quickly, and it's it's a competitor with YouTube, even right now, for, for micro learning. So that means that there's a huge user base there, and it's not just people aren't just researching, you know, how to change a tire or stuff like that. They're researching things in our industry. So that's one reason. Another is that there's this, this misconception that it's all teenagers on TikTok, which was true at one point, but today in 2022, actually over 50% of users are, are 30 plus, which that stat still just blows my mind, but (laughs) it's aging up. And we know that, that a huge percentage of millennials make buying decisions at their companies. So it's kind of like, why, like, why not try it? Mm. Why not get on TikTok?
0: The... The the kind of stat around, you know, fifty percent of TikTok users are mm-hmm. over the age of did you say thirty?
1: Mm-hmm. That's correct.
0: Uh anecdotally, I could I can vouch for that. All of my, mm-hmm. both my parents are on TikTok. You know, or my yeah. my aunt and uncle are on TikTok. You know, friends that yes. are of that age and, and more, and myself. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm over thirty. <laughs> That's
1: right. like I'm still in the mind of a 14 year old. That's what my wife would tell
0: me. You know, I, I use TikTok, and I think you're talking to like a really interesting point. You know, it's rem- it reminds me of it reminds me of an interview I did with a guy called Jonathan Ronzio. He was like the fifth person I've interviewed on this podcast, and he's the CMO of a company called Trainual. And he said something that's stuck with me since then, which was, you know, as marketers, as B2B marketers, yes, we need to figure out how to occupy someone's time and attention between nine or five. Mm. But we also need to think about how we can be occupying their time and attention, you know, once they clock off from work. And yeah. that doesn't mean, you know, forcing white papers or technical documentation or pricing guides down their throat when they're just relaxing on the sofa, you know, scrolling mm-hmm. through their social media. and And to me, that kind of feels like, a really sensible play and a compelling play for yeah. you and for other B two B marketers out there, whether they're representing themselves or a brand. Because, yeah. but but you have to think very carefully about what kind of content you're putting on there, because you know you should always create content natively for the platform. But I think, take Twitter to LinkedIn, you know, you can kind of get away with just some very light repurposing. If you take content that you're creating for LinkedIn and you just put it like for like on TikTok, it's it's going to fall flat. I mean, is there anything you can say about? Yes the style that you are developing at over at tiktok and how that's kind of evolved yeah. over time
1: sure so i started with educational content at very similar to you know a linkedin post but on video so i would make a video that's like five ways to create a better content marketing strategy and just basically reading off of a post, which those do well sometimes. And it depends on if you have a large audience already and what kind of information you're giving them. For me, did not do well. It was comfortable, which is why I started out doing that kind of content. And then I started seeing Todd Klauser. He's with Refined Labs. He he moved from educational to entertaining content or edutainment, really. And so I started seeing what he was doing. And I was like, man, how can I be like Todd? Um, I'm such a fan of, of his. And so I was like, all right, I, I'm going to start trying humorous content. I'm going to see how that goes. So I started doing, you may have seen like impersonations, like if the Avengers were marketers and that way I was able to, the content itself was educational, but the packaging was entertaining because I never want to make a silly video just for the sake of making a silly video. Right. And now I'm at the point where I'm, I'm constantly thinking like, how can I make something that's different than what I've made before and I I, I'm a huge fan of doing like episodic content but I once I get burnt out I gotta think of what to do next and a lot of the things that I've tested and a lot of it is just experimentation but a lot of the things I've tested are parodies of funny things in the world already so you Mm. know like skits that Jimmy Fallon does or SNL or my, the one that I'm most known for is Between Two House Plants, which is actually LinkedIn and not TikTok, but that's just a spoof off of Between Two Ferns. And so that's the kind of content I make now is more so just funny edutainment content.
0: That must have been quite daunting, particularly the first time you put out something like that, because, you know, just talking from personal experience, having dabbled a very small amount in TikTok on the B2B marketing mm-hmm. side of things, you know, I, I've, I've stuck to the kind of educational stuff, because as you say, that's where I feel yeah. most comfortable. And like, I can just mm-hmm. sit there and, you know, talk for 60 seconds about a facet of how to do B2B marketing better. I have, a, I have an, an Evernote you know, folder full of like ideas, whether they're funny or not, I will leave to other people to judge. <laughs> but you know, skits and you know, you know, just interesting ways of trying to to kind of give across that same message in a way that engages people yeah. and entertains people. I haven't I haven't been able to kind of muster up the courage to put any of them out yet. <laughs> How was that for yeah. you? That first time that you made that transition? Were you were you scared? Were you nervous? What was that like?
1: I was I was a little nervous, and I think I just. I don't know how I made the transition, really. I just wanted to see what would work, you know? And so I thought the only way to see is to try it and to post it and see what people say. Because it is, it's daunting because, you know, LinkedIn is so professional and and TikTok is obviously so different it is humorous but that's my brain is like a LinkedIn brain that's what I've been working in for so long and so I thought people are going to see this and they're not going to take me seriously they're going to think I'm one of those teenagers dancing on TikTok which I'm certainly not but I started to see once I, I posted some of those TikTok videos on LinkedIn people were like this is amazing it's refreshing it's fun and that's really where content's trending right now is people want something that's different. They want something that makes them laugh, even on LinkedIn, which you know, a couple of years ago would have been surprising, <laughs> but now it's more common. And so I think, and then that was sort of a cycle of once I started getting that positive affirmation, I was like, oh, I gotta create more funny content. Just keep creating funny content. But seeing that it works and that that's the content I got results from was definitely encouraging to me.
0: What kind of results are you seeing from TikTok and how are you measuring those results, both in terms of the growth of your personal brand and the Sweetfish brand?
1: Yeah, so I manage our Sweetfish account and I have a personal account on TikTok. Sweetfish is for that account, I make content that's more leaning towards the educational side, but in a fun way where I would say like on my personal brand, I'm trying to think of fun content that has education in it. And so we've not seen a ton of growth on our brand page. And I think that's still because of that that conception that like people don't interact with brands as much as they do with people, right? And also because I I give more attention to my page because of... The strategy that I have, which I mentioned earlier. So, most of my TikTok videos are made to fuel my LinkedIn presence and then attention and affinity for Sweet Fish. So, I don't get a lot of, I don't create a lot of demand from my TikTok, but when I repost those TikTok videos onto my LinkedIn page, The results I've gotten are mostly, and this is how I measure success, is how many times they're shared, how many good comments I get on those posts. Because I'm going for resonance and affinity. And that's something that is a rallying cry for us at Sweetfish, is is affinity over awareness. We want people to like our brand, to feel like they can trust our brand. So when they're ready to start a podcast, they think, oh, sweet fish. Like I've seen them all over social media and I know that they seem like pretty cool people. So I've, I, when I started posting those videos onto LinkedIn, I doubled my following really, really quickly and it continues. Yeah, it continues to grow. When I post a TikTok video onto LinkedIn, I'll get 100 profile views that week, whereas if I'm posting text posts, I'll get like 40. So I know that it's getting attention. I also have had a lot of people message me with podcast invites based off of those videos because the the trend right now is, you know, doing B2B marketing that's different and that's not boring, that's more human. And so I'll get invitations to talk about that kind of thing because they're like, I haven't seen any videos like yours and I'd love to talk to you about it, which is what we're doing right now, right? So, that's <laughs> so exactly that's,
0: exactly the reason why we're talking now because i you know you talk about building affinity and you know i had affinity towards you and sweet fish just being big mm-hmm. fans of your collective work but you know yeah. the video that really you know uh, lit the fire under me to to reach yeah. out to you and say we have to talk about <laughs> yeah. this was that collab you did with obid Durrani on which was a kind of rap song on how to draw more unique insights out of your podcast guests about 60 seconds really catchy puts like like a worm like a worm in your ear i couldn't stop (laughs) thinking about it for at least two days i would love to hear the kind of process on on how that came about and how you both pulled it together and also what the kind of impact of that video has been since you published it only a couple of weeks ago
1: yes so that's one of my favorite ones to date as well just because i am i'm not a professional musician but a musician hobbyist and so it was really fun to pull that together but at the beginning of the year Sweetfish had we had this idea to create an album a music album about b2b marketing uh, because we have a lot of really talented <laughs> that's <is>
0: so cool <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, it would have been cool, but the thing is, so we had a lot of talented people on our team, talented musicians, and we were like, wow, we should really utilize this, because this is unique, as well as um, a lot of them write songs of their own. So I was ready to jump on this project, I was ready to execute it, and then we just got hit with a massive workload, and just weren't able to do it. And maybe in the future we will be, but I still had it in my brain. I would written several songs already, and so I contacted Obed because I saw he posted some raps on LinkedIn. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. Like rap is way out of my element because I'm more of a ukulele, like mm. <laughs> indie type of musician. But I reached out to him, which is another reason to to – you know, utilize your hobbies, post your content because I would have never known if I hadn't seen him on LinkedIn. And I asked him if he'd like to collaborate on a song. And he was down, and so we did and I had written the hook. I wrote a couple of the rap lyrics cuz we wanted the message to be I wanted the message to be about podcasting, obviously because I work for Sweetfish. So I had this idea of, of let's write about point of view discovery, which is a strategy that we advocate for in podcasting. And and let's just make a song out of it. And I think it'll be fun and cool. And so, and it I, it was, it turned out really well. He's very talented. We got so many, so many comments on that post on the video. I got so many messages from the video. People were just saying, this is refreshing because, you know, LinkedIn is a lot of the same stuff as you're scrolling through. And so, and we're not the only ones who who have done this, Ding Zen, he's sales rapper, you may have seen mm. him on TikTok. That's kind of his space. And so I think more people are, are starting to think, how can I use my talents to create content to fuel my marketing strategy? But yeah, so the results that we've seen have mostly been, I did have a couple of people who were like, oh, I hadn't heard of Sweetfish before, but I'm actually looking to start a podcast and I just found your video. So to me, that's huge success.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And what I really love about this story is you talk about your kind of passion for music and how it's been a kind of constant throughout your life. And now you've found an opportunity to marry together, you know, what you do in your day job with something that, you know, you've that you do as a hobby. And we talked right at the beginning of this episode about, you know, how you didn't start in a conventional marketing career you you know went from over from journalism and and you kind of ended up here on this kind of long and windy road you know similar to me I graduated with a degree in drama you know I talk to people all the time who said I I had an idea of what I wanted to do at the beginning of my career or you know as a kid and you know it didn't work out for whatever reason and and now I'm doing this and I think if there's kind of one takeaway I'm I'm walking away with having spoken to you it's you know there are opportunities to bring those two worlds together right to great effect and in a way that doesn't yes. you know in a way that isn't just um creating friction and like you know you're trying to force two yeah. two things together that shouldn't be together if you've got a passion or a hobby use this as permission to try and find ways to kind of to bring your two worlds closer right. together
1: right right yes that is very exciting and it's neat whenever you're able to use your hobbies and your passions in your day job right 100%. So our, yeah. Yeah. our CEO, James, he just told me last week, he was like, you know, five years ago, there would have never been a role like the role that you have right now or like the role that Todd has, which is just we're content creators and also we're, we're content managers and strategists, but we're paid to come up with the most creative content that we can, which is valuable now in a way that it wasn't just a couple of years ago.
0: Yeah, absolutely. 100%. As we close off this episode, Emily, I've got a couple more questions for you. But I'd love to hear any core principles that you have when it comes to creating content for TikTok that a listener to this episode could perhaps use to be inspired to go out there and post their first video.
1: Mm. So the first thing is I like to ask, is it something that I would watch? Is it something I would want to watch? Because if it's not something you like, then... It's it's not true to your brand, but odds are if you're creating something that you really like, someone else is going to really like it too. And the more fun that you have creating content, the more you're going to do it. I mean, it's not going to be like pulling teeth, right? So that's one thing. I ask if it's clever or humorous because that's that's true to my brand. I ask if I can tie education into the entertainment and then is it different? Is it different than anything that I've seen on the platform as far as B2B marketing goes? So I'm, I advocate starting out if you're nervous and, and trepidatious, like start out with trending audio. But once you get that muscle working and you feel confident, I think you should leave trending audio behind because it's not different enough. It's not unique enough.
0: Absolutely. One question I like to ask everyone uh, who comes on to B2B Better is what mm-hmm. they think or how they think B2B marketing will change over the next five years.
1: Yes. So I've, I have three things in my notes here. The first is the demand for video will continue to increase and I think may even become more popular. You may even see more videos than blog posts, long form commodity content blog posts that look like every other one. So you'll see more video on websites, certainly on social media, especially of course TikTok is all video, but on LinkedIn I think we're going to see a lot more video too. And then I think there will be a greater emphasis on native content, so creating content for the platform that you're on. I see quite a few people trying to they make a micro video for LinkedIn and they try and put it on TikTok and it just tanks because it's not made for that platform and also because the the because TikTok will penalize it because it's not native but also audiences know that it's not native and and you have to figure out what the best practices are for each platform and then optimize for that platform and then also i think we'll see an emphasis on quality over quantity of content which is something we can see already just with the the want the demand for creative content on social platforms on linkedin is that's a good indicator when people are starting to want creative content on linkedin i think that we're going to see much more of that in the future
0: definitely three great points to end this episode on emily who who should i interview next on b2b better
1: so I have a few people for you for employee advocacy. If you haven't talked to Nick Bennett already, he's a great one. For TikTok, Todd Klauser, Alex Sheridan, even, you know, Obed, talk to him about what we've done and also, he, you know, the cool things that he's doing on TikTok. For content strategy, I'm a big fan of Devin Reed and Camille Trent.
0: Fantastic. Well, I haven't interviewed any of those people. I know of cool. all of them. And in fact, I've spoken to a few of them kind of, you know, on Zoom a couple of times. But uh, yeah. this is a great excuse for me to reach out and and try and get them onto the podcast. Emily, I will drop the links to you, all of your social channels because you are everywhere into the, descrip- into the description of this episode. I'll also link to that amazing uh, article you wrote for the Sweetfish, Sweetfish blog on your employee advocacy program. But otherwise, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast, and uh, I look forward to continue to watch your content.
1: Thanks for having me, Jason.
0: POV so discovery, looking up things I'm covering. What, why, how? Framework, and I'll keep myself from blubbering. Cause man, I'm excited you said you're glad i invited you i'm a big fan of how you built your brand i want to get your thoughts so we can try it too i want to dive into how you think though because i think it'll make for good info leave with a really good intro then we can fire up listeners with inspo you have a ton of stuff we can think about so those who aren't following you are missing out to dive deep in your mind is my mission now asking all the right questions to dig it out let's go it's timing uh got my notion signed in yeah as the host i'll chime in potent vibe in a wholesome environment uh, and I know you're passionate, like Got your notes and lasting advice And I know when you crashin' in this mic That this episode's packed with insights, yeah
1: I'm getting ready for the interview So I can get an interview Of all the thoughts inside of you Like any host like me would do I'm getting ready for the interview Possibility interview not just any knowledge that you would do I'm excited.